We've got a sponsor for you this week. This week's episode is sponsored by Status. Status app lets you chat, browse, and transact on the Ethereum blockchain. Take control of your own private secure messaging, use dApps on mobile, and secure your assets. Download the app today where you get your mobile apps or at statusim slash get. That's statusim slash G-E-T. The Bitcoin podcast will also be in the TBP channel of the Status app to give out a little S&T and let you play around with its features and start chatting privately today. Enjoy the show. It's a Bitcoin Bitcoin Podcast. My name is D. I'm the host that talks first. I'm another host, Dr. Corey Petty. And I sometimes talk a lot. That's right. You Welcome are a talker, sir. You talk a lot. It depends on my mood. I think it depends on my mood. Yeah. It, I think that's with everyone, though. Yeah, but, like, but I'll go in on some things. I, the funny thing is, I usually don't get like... Whenever we start podcasting, I'm just like, okay, let's podcast. And like halfway in, I'm like, let's do this. <laughs> it takes a while though. <laughs> so we should, then we should trick ourselves by starting to record and then not really getting into the show for like half an hour. And then maybe we're just going to have golden content. There we go. I kind of like the ramp up. Yeah. Gives it gets it, people, keeps them excited. It's real. Yeah. Well, this is episode 304, everyone. That is a lot of episodes. And we're like proud of every that. single one of them. Like no, so, we just did 303. Okay. Okay, I believe you. I'm just saying it feels like more than that. It does. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. I want it to feel like the first day all over again. Like Do you know? It was, we didn't know what we were doing. It was fun. I don't give a shit. Yeah, we talked true. a lot about random shit, which I like. A lot of bird noises in the background because I was in Brazil. Yeah. A lot of babies from cello. Yep, it was it was lovely. It was terrible a good time. microphones. Oh, the golden years. That's how did right. we even? How did we even record back then? Was it Skype? I think we used Skype. We used Skype, and then I like uh, recorded myself, and everybody patched into me, and then I recorded, and then it was it was fun. We figured it out, you know. Um, but this is episode three hundred and four. And we had on the amazingly wonderful Camilla Russo. Uh, but you're going to hear that interview. It's all about her and her projects and DeFi. DeFi is the new bubble, Corey. I'm getting in, bro. I just got myself die. I'm going in. I'm going to die hard. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, okay. It's it's still like it's it's a reasonable thing to use cryptocurrency for. Do you say yippee ki motherfucker every time you buy some die? I do not. I do. 
I don't think I bought die. I've, I've earned hard. it. I've earned it through various things. I've like hedged into. Like maybe I guess if you hedge into it and you're buying it. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the slogan: Live free and die hard. You know like we had movie, uh, except for and. You know we had a platform on that was called Die Hard, on Patch it out right. Logan Bruschi. I know that now. Was it a good episode? Yeah, it's a really, it's a really cool uh, way. He has this like interesting way of of doing like escrow called burnable payments, and then he has a platform that allows people to kind of uh, do it like a centralized marketplace with like that tries to get like the in, the game incentives so that um, it's really really hard to take advantage of other people. And it, uses, okay. it, all, it all uses die. He called it die hard. Funny enough, the first time they implemented it, there was a bug in the smart contract and like somebody stole all the money. Uh, it was a, it was a white hat <laughs> hacker. It was a white hat hacker. So like they stole it and then gave it back only to show that the system was broken and needed to be shut down. Um, but it's like, it's like introducing die hard, hard, hard and broken. So it's like, <laughs> it's not very hard. Die. <laughs> but the second iteration works pretty well. Uh, he's trying to get people in Zimbabwe to use it. The thing I like about DeFi is because it it seems so gloriously like something that's gonna just blow up in people's faces, but it doesn't seem like it's doing that. So people are starting to have quote unquote faith in it. And you're seeing this enormous growth. I think I saw the article this week that was eight hundred percent growth in the last two months and people Locking up their die in DeFi contracts, which is cool, right? I think it's supposed to be cool, but I kind of on Taylor Taylor's side of the fence where she's like, mm, I feel like we're diving into the deep end of something. We don't know what's down there. No, we don't. We got to explore it. I mean, uh, even even with that amount of growth. The total amount of capital locked up is diminutive when you look at it in terms of both the yeah. cryptocurrency Fancy ecosystem. <laughs> Small, uh, in comparison to like the rest of the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency ecosystem. And then, which is also pales in comparison to the larger financial industry. And so like, there's something outside. So I want to mute my mic. The dogs. Corey has a lot of dogs and, um, they bark at the same things all the time. So they're insane. Um, <laughs> so I think one of the main things I wanted to talk about when it comes to decentralized finance, if you hear the, if you hear the term DeFi and if you're, if you say you're a GPP and it's okay to be a GPP. And, uh, you hear the term DeFi start to be tossed around in everyday vernacular and the zeitgeist, if you will. What it means is decentralized finance. Right now, finance is centralized. Everybody knows that. Banks, all of them, Ally, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Chase, JP, like all of them, they handle the financing. They handle how people make money from financing projects. It's very centralized. With decentralized finance, um, it's algorithmic. 
and it takes place in the code of a smart contract. If those smart contracts are ran on the node of the Ethereum virtual machine. So I guess the possibilities are kind of endless when it comes to the type of financing you'd like to find or create, which makes for, um, which makes for very interesting, uh, combinations of things. And then the thing that I get really excited about with the centralized finance is like, I take a bunch of die and die is the, algorithmic stable coin of Ethereum. There's lots of stable coins, um, USDC, Tether, um, USDT, I believe. No, Tether is USDT. I'm thinking about the other one. Um, USD, uh, I can't think of it off the top of my head. There's a, there's a lot of stable coins tied to different fiat currencies. And it's usually like, here's a giant pile of fiat money and each one of these crypto tokens is a one-to-one match of that giant pile of a unit of that giant pile um, which is an okay stable coin but at the end of the day uh, all it is really designed to do is create some sort of measuring mechanism of the volume between fiat and crypto and whoever provided said giant pile of fiat is now making uh, basically Superman 2 level of small uh, transaction fee uh, monies um, that are going straight into their pocket. Um, and that's what it's truly designed for. Uh, DAI, on the other hand, is different. Uh, it was designed to basically give uh, Ether um, some sort of monetary stability. Am I right about that, Corey? Uh, I think kind of. It's, it's once, like, once you have the smart contracting platform to make arbitrary business logic on top of like on top of money. They created um, like a governance token called maker or MKR um, and created a smart contract system that allows you to uh, collateralize tokens, including Ethereum, like over collateralized tokens, including Ethereum. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the process of basically what the, I guess basically what happens is I stake a certain amount of token, say I, I stake 150 die, or I stake 150 dollars worth of die, right? Sorry, ether. Excuse me. I stake 150 dollars worth of ether into a smart contract, and when that money gets put into the smart contract for me, I then mint, I create brand new 100 die. So my 100 dollars is backed by 150 dollars of ether or some other token. They have a, a basket of tokens you can use in which they're trying to kind of continue to expand uh, so that like the leverage pool is more diverse than a single asset. And then that die is free to be is free to use. And so that how do how does that maintain the peg? Uh, there's a whole marketplace, like a multi-sided marketplace in which maintains that peg. So if something is if the price of ether moves to a certain point, someone can call that that bet and liquidate that loan. Mm-hmm. And there's like a whole lot of lot of mechanisms which kind of keep it uh, pegged to a single dollar uh, based on the over collateralization of assets and their current market prices. There's we did a few episodes, so the 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 transition from uh, moving to multi collateral uh, assets uh, used to be just ether was relatively soon, and so I did a two part interview with Maker. Um, a while back on hashing it out. So if you're interested in more like, it's like the dynamics aren't, 
easy. What happens is you have this like large pool of people, including governance people on what the like collateralization rates are or the interest rates and uh, how, how it gets paid out and what can be collateralized in the first place is, is done through the maker token. And uh, the fees of these, of these loans, the making a loan on yourself, uh, are paid in maker. So the people who are doing the governance end up getting paid for a lot of the, like the, uh, governance of the whole pool. They actually had a large, like a, I don't want to call it a bug, but like an unforeseen almost meltdown, uh, a couple, maybe, maybe only a month ago, a month or two ago, uh, where people were minting ether for free. Because of the, because of like the cost of doing transactions on Ethereum because of a completely other thing. So like some unforeseen consequence of what happened. It had to do with flash loans, which is really strange. Uh, there's like a whole, I should probably do an episode on this whole debacle of like flash loans versus the, the potential down, like the almost, uh, death of die and maker. But they, but, but it, but it was resilient. And I'd say maker and die, um, have proven to be incredibly resilient and stable across a lot of price fluctuations of ether and all the other assets that are there, which is like a pretty true testament to like a, like a very resilient and, uh, kind of stable token based on, based on a foundation of high volatility assets that isn't really controlled by a single entity, but a group of people that's con- that continuously expands. Like, so like it's, it's the best stable coin in terms of kind of distributed power decentralization. But there are other really good stable coins. Like USDC is a really good stable coin because it's backed by a bunch of dollars in Coinbase. So like if you trust them and the money they have and their rep- and their unwillingness to ruin their entire reputation, then, and, and their smart contract, of course, which are heavily audited, that's, it's a, it's a really good stable coin, which you can earn a certain amount of money by, uh, like staking and locking it up and things like that through Coinbase. Mm-hmm. And so like what I find kind of funny about the whole DeFi, I guess, hype that's currently going on right now is that you're, How you're, dare you? How dare you? it's a fucking hype. Like, like your interest rates, like the, the amount of money that you're going to potentially make is, uh, really good compared to traditional markets. It's like 8%. Right. That's gonna, okay. Yeah, it's but not like, even that. Do you do you remember this space? Like, do you remember 2017 when money blew up? Like, people were looking for yeah. 30x gains, not eight percent. So it yeah, it, it, tells a, for... it tells a huge like story about where we are and the types of like reasonable investments people should be making, as opposed to like I I got in crypto with a hundred dollars and now I'm rich, baby. Like, you know, that's not what we're really looking for. What most yeah, people look for when they're thinking about putting money into it, and so yeah, like if you're going to make if you're going to make any real money off eight percent, you're throwing a tremendous amount of capital in and keeping it there for a long period of time, instead of like actively moving around small amounts of assets, hoping for incredibly large gains. Yeah. See, hashtag not investment advice. If you want to make a return on investing, like investing, not not that um. Gambling? Not that swing trading bullshit. That's, that's essentially gambling. Uh, it doesn't matter how many chicken bones you draw on your computer screen. It's it's gambling. 
Um, it, it is fun. Don't get me wrong. It's a fucking rush when you buy something and then it goes up like $50 and then you sell it and you're like, Oh, fuck yeah. I just <laughs> made not that much money, but it felt so fucking good. It's more than I like, had on yeah. my brain power. I did nothing else. That's right. I drew some lines and they happened and I go, Oh yeah. So many flags, so many triangles. So I should make a fucking uh, parody video of that. Five yeah. percent. Like, oh, Someone has definitely made that parody. <laughs> Send it to us if you, if you know about it. Put it on, like, tweet it to us so we can we can uh, share it. It's it's okay. Like sometimes it's fun. I'm not gonna lie. Like when we were trading ether to like many moons ago, when there weren't many pairings, but the most popular one was like ether to Bitcoin. Uh, I was deep in that shit. I was like, "Oh, it's point oh two seven. Oh my god! What'd you yes. use? What'd you use when you when you did that? I used the Crypto Watch uh, as my charting software, and then I used that's still around. Uh, that was Google. awesome. That was an awesome. Yeah, it's really good now. It's it's actually got a lot better. I still use it because I may or may not have been talked back into the trading game, <laughs> at least swing trading. So, um. So swing trading is a is a viable option for me now. So, but um, what was I gonna say? Uh, yeah, you sit and you watch, and it's a gambling. But when it comes to investing, like I want to put my money away for five years, and I would like a seven percent gain every year in that five years. So the money I put, if I put a hundred dollars away today, it'll be a hundred and thirty five. It'll be hundred thirty five dollars in five years, which is not very much. But when you're investing, you kind of treat it as like a saving. So you're not going to put a hundred dollars. You're going to put tens of thousands of dollars, um, every year, uh, into this, these plays. And then if you get tens of thousands of dollars, well, then you can kind of see how that adds up over time. And then after five years, you rebalance and you try it again or you go into new things. But in order to get that 7%, you have to diversify into many different things. Uh, because one year something's only going to give you like 2%. You're like, man, that's a shitty year for, uh, domestic real estate ETFs. But then on the other side of the planet, like, you know, foreign real estate or international real estate ETFs might give you a 10% gain. So if you got that average between 10 and 2, you're looking at 6%. Not too shabby return on your money, but you got to diversify into different things in order to give yourself the chance of that 7%. It's not guaranteed. Teed. Um, I think uh, Wu-Tang Financial put it well. Diversify your bonds, nigga. That's what they <laughs> said. You got to diversify. And so when it comes to crypto, it's kind of getting to that same point, which to me is awesome. It's like, okay, you can have a cash position and die. Uh, you can have um, some very long-term plays in Bitcoin and Ether. Um, you can have your die locked up into um, smart contracts that return you interest. And then every quarter you take the interest and you, uh, withdraw that back into die and you buy into your long terms. There's just, there's options now with crypto, crypto for, for financial things, which are, are really cool. And I think like, I think now is the time more than ever for like Bitcoin, ether, Bitcoin and ether to join forces to build that like new financial existence that we've been raving about for a decade and kind of ignore all the other stuff, keep it going, but kind of focus. Like we need to focus. We were talking about this in the black chat, the block channel interview this week uh, with governance and like the lack of focus. Uh, 
of the community. And it's like that lack of focus is only going to breed an environment where one or two Jeff Bezos comes in and wipes out the whole market and they're the people that built a Ethereum thing. Uh, or they're the blockchain guy. They built a blockchain thing that uh, now everybody's using. I don't think and that's, the that's them. Huh? I don't think that's the case. I don't think that'll be the case. I hope it's not the case, but history rhymes. Yeah, but like we've talked about this before. The way this stuff is built is not is not built in a centralizing effect. Like it doesn't, it doesn't try to harness power into a single entity. Like the, the principles of how you build on systems like this are don't have emergent properties of funneling assets and value and power into a single thing. In fact, they're like the opposite of that. It's very hard to do that on top of these platforms and, and, and gather a bunch of resources because the majority of people in the ecosystem and the way control is had in terms of like, you know, that's why there's no one ever talked about custodial versus non-custodial investing nearly as much as they're doing in this, in this ecosystem. And like, especially with the mentalities associated with it, like making custodial products in decentralized ecosystems is, is like bad form or it's just something we have to do until we can do it better. No one's trying to do custodial stuff and saying, this is the, this is the, this is the future. This is where this entire technology is going to go. Which is the opposite of what, like, how the internet works and how traditional finance works. It's like, no, 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 no. We're the custodians. You give us the money. That's how it works. There's no other way to do it. It's bad to put money in your mattress. That's a terrible way to do things. And so, like, okay, because there's that ethos, like, it's much more difficult to create products that, like, funnel all the power and capital. Or at least if, if, they're, if there's a if there is a centralization effect, because it's like centralization, quote unquote, or decentralization, it can be can be seen at through a, a lot of different lenses. For instance, you can say it's you can say all the capital is centralized if it's all built on Ethereum, right? Like DeFi is relatively centralized because it's basically all on Ethereum, but that's a misnomer because it's yeah it's built on Ethereum, so it's under somewhat of a single a single asset class and relegated by the stability of Ethereum, but like it's not controlled by a single thing. It's controlled by a bunch of different people running different smart contracts that don't have the ability to kind of steal power from each other. I think it's new term time. Well I, I, I hate I hate for. I hate saying like things need to be decentralized. Yes. It doesn't it, what, that doesn't mean anything. You're feeling me. You're in my brain right now. We need to make a new term because everything gets centralized. Fight Com- me. Change my to mind. What? Sure. You can, you can, you can make that argument about anything you want, but it doesn't have exactly. any power. There's nothing that doesn't mean anything. That's just, it means that's, a lot that's, to me. That's just, because... that's just, yeah, but that's just having an argument for argument's sake. If there's no like beneficial consequence of saying everything is centralized at some point, it's something. Will end eventually get centralized, but like compared to what and what's being centralized, you can have something that's centralized and decentralized at the same time, depending on what you're talking about. Like, mm-hmm. okay, let's talk about Bitcoin. Bitcoin is incredibly decentralized in reference to like how many nodes are dealing with consensus and like, like terms of mining and who has control over the value and things like that. But what, what's the ledger? 
it's the central point of truth for value in Bitcoin. So I guess if all information is centralized within the Bitcoin ecosystem because that's on the ledger. You can make these kind of dumb arguments about what's centralized and what isn't that don't mean anything. It's it's only when you compare it to something else when it has any type of like relative truth. Yeah. I once knew a girl named Shaniqua who liked to argue for argument's sake. Not a lot of people like Shaniqua. But that's off the, that's, that's a little bit off topic. There's a lot of Shaniquas. There's a lot of Shaniquas yeah. in, in the, in, in the world, I'd say. I don't think there are. Oh, there's a lot of people. Few. People want to be right. Shaniquas? And so they come up with some stupid argument oh, that's, that's actually stupid. truthful and they rally behind it. I guess what I'm trying to say is that like, to the, uh, everyone is for the most part in tech is trying to get their thing used. Um, you know, they want it to be used because that's what pumps investor dollars into their, into their shit. That's what adds value to their shit. As long as it's used, then that gives them time to think of their next idea. Okay. How do we make money off of the use? And that's pretty much the recipe that all tech companies try to go for until that recipe is broken. I think it's uh, more so in this ecosystem because that's why you saw so many platform plays, right? Is we need to get, and I think it has to do with kind of how social media made people realize that um, human attention is the real economy. Mm-hmm. Like you need an audience in order to sell a product. So step one, make something that gets an audience, audience and then profit. Like then find ways to monetize it. And what you saw across most of the, the attempts to do stuff within, um, at least with I mean, the, at the very minimal, like the blockchain industry ecosystem as it blew up was people trying to make the next best platform or the thing that everyone uses so that they can then eventually profit from that attention because human attention is the most valuable asset there is right now. Yeah. Yes, it is. Like I guess token economics was the attempt to like monetize human attention in a lot of ways. Like, because the token price was reflective of uh, not only the use of that token in terms of the number of people who are using a specific, who are agreeing on a specific token to use and using the platform, but also on speculation on the use of that token, and which, 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 which is a proxy for people. It's just a proxy for who's caring about this system and giving it legitimacy. Speculation is usually like, I think more people are going to care about the system and give more legitimacy and start using it. So I'm going to buy a bunch of it now in hopes that it's more profitable later because it's scarce. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so, I see and so that's what, that's what basically that was the bet everyone was trying to make. Um, as these systems got popular through the boom and then people were building platforms are like, no, 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 use my system. No, 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 use my system. This is where the attention needs to be because I'm solving this problem better than them or so on and so forth. And that's what it's going to continue to be. And that's why Facebook is so popular and so it makes so much money. Because everyone fucking uses it. They just don't have a token yet. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. They tried to have one. And they tried to take, oh my God, they tried to straight mafia style. <laughs> They're token into everyone's life. Like, we're, it's legal. We're going to the, we're going to the capital. We're, it's, it's a fucking, I don't think that's over. Be- I don't think that's over. I think they're just, they're just underplaying it now. Like, I'm curious, kind of see, like, they're going to pop up one day and be like, you're going to, someone's yeah. going to be on WhatsApp and like, Leaper's here now. We did it. Yeah. 
you guys, for the audience listening, if you want to get the only crash course into American capitalism that you need, you don't need a degree. You don't need a, you can get the rough, if you, if you want to start a business and get the rough crash course, you can watch the movie, The Aviator with Leonardo DiCaprio. Really? That's what you went? I haven't seen that movie, but that, I didn't, that really? The last two thirds of that movie was him fighting the U.S. government because they wanted to make all sorts of regulations to basically fuck him and his company. And make this other company, which was, is very famous airlines, like this, this shit actually happened in history. Like these very famous airlines were basically like, Hey, we're about to talk with the US government to make a bunch of regulations that are basically going to make all these other airlines have to go out of business because they can't comply. That's like the last two thirds of the movie. That's why he starts fucking losing his mind. That's why he, you know, is like, you know, fuck it. I don't even care about this shit. I just want to make planes. I really just want to make planes. Like that's what I want to do. Um, I like movies that talk about like American capital. This has been another real movie by D. Yeah. So it's <laughs> movie. It's very, by D. You want to watch the aviator and you'll see like that's when you go to a big company, eventually the, the U S government comes in and they're like, Hey, uh, we need to make money off your success. And you're like, wait, what? huh? And they're like, yeah, that's, that's, that's how this works. So you're, <laughs> you're making a lot of money and we want some of it. So we're going to make these laws that funnel money into your pockets and ours. And that's just the way it's going to go. And you're going to help us write the laws. And so that's it's like, that's how us government works. And so if you do something that's really successful, just wait till uncle Sam knocks on your door. He's like, Hey, this has been great. This has been a great show. You got here. Uh, we're going to need you to pay your dues. And then let's go ahead and, and help me write some laws too. That make this, make this legal. And so that's how the U S government works. So there you go. Uh, call me Dr. D. Cause I just, you just got fucking learnt. Um, but the whole, <laughs> the whole reason we're doing DeFi, <laughs> the whole reason we started doing DeFi anyways is because, uh, banks, and this is the thing, this is a very unique thing, um, that we kind of touched on, but obviously we're, I think I'm batting out of my uh, league is that these huge centralized entities don't have incentives to play. They don't have incentives to use the stuff because everything has been built for them already. Like this is something that there was a very awesome dude who used to be in our Slack, but I'm pretty sure he's on bigger and brighter things. Um, and he uh, worked for AT&T, I think. And he was like, all this stuff is cute. Remember we met him in DevCon in Mexico. Yeah. yeah. He was like, dude. all this stuff is really cute, but you guys don't understand is the telecom industries own the internet. And nothing is incentivizing them to change what they do. So basically they're just letting you guys play and they're watching it and they think it's fun and cute. But if they ever wanted to be this big push towards decentralize everything, they would, they would just say like, no, we're not going to build that shit. We're not going to well, do a, that. You know, like the amount of capital locked up in, in the infrastructure associated with the internet is incredibly massive. Yeah. Quadrillions or billions? I don't, I don't know. I don't know numbers. It's just incredibly massive. And so to change that architecture, like the topology of the network so that it, you can, you can, you can do things the way kind of people want them to is, is an undertaking. And it's, and it's controlled by like three companies. They all bought it. They all built it. They all control it. it. That's their capital. So like when you buy, like when Google says they like offer fiber, they're buying time from these other companies 
and giving it to you, like through the, through that network infrastructure. Slaying fiber across the country, it's like it's like the railroads, right? It's very similar to like the railroads. They're incredibly expensive to build, and once they're built, they're incredibly useful. But like, guess who owns them? The crazy asshole who decided to build them. B and O reading yeah. railroad and fucking <laughs> Pennsylvania. Four of them. There's fucking four of them, and you got to go through them. Uh, you're gonna use them. You're gonna, you're gonna have to pay for it. Yeah, Monopoly's such a good fucking game. Golly, it's just it's such a I good should game. replay it. I don't know if Aaron has the patience for it. There's a new online version that's like really fucking good, and yeah. it's, it's crazy that I still that'd be want a fun play social distancing game, like playing Monopoly. I literally thought about playing it because I was like, man, that looks fucking great. Somebody really built a great online Monopoly game. Let's do that. Um, we should we should do that with some folks in the Slack. Have a Monopoly tonight. You want to do it? All right, yeah. I'll find the game and then we'll see. We'll post it in Slack and see if we can go for it. I think right. it was a uh, no. What's his name? Tipped me onto it. Uh, Yagi. Okay. I think he wanted to play it with his with his kids. I think it was Yagi. Anyways, um, Banks. Ah, what we, can, we can move on to the interview. And okay, well, this is uh, Camille Russo. She writes <laughs> the Defiant newsletter. Uh, wait a second, let me pull up my Slack here. Not my Slack, but my. Uh, so she's a freelance journalist in the tech industry. Um, she's been freelancing for a Grip. Uh, she's the creator of the Defiant a newsletter. It's got quite a few readers. She's got mad Twitter followers. That's a thing. She's got the clout. Uh, she's a SoundCloud rapper, a SoundCloud producer. Um, she, no, I'm kidding. She's none of those things. Uh, she's written a book on Ethereum that's, it's coming out in July. Um, so which means it's something you can still partake in while you're social distancing. Yeah, you can, uh, pre-order it for 15 bucks on Amazon. The Infinite Machine, how an army of crypto hackers is building the next internet with Ethereum. Uh, yep. based on her description, like, I want to read this book. Do you feel like you're doing that, Corey? Do you feel like that's what you do? I don't know what I do. I just I just try and solve as many problems as I can with the time that I have. No, I mean, like, do you feel like at status, do you feel like you're building a piece of the new internet? Yes. Like do you if think we're successful, that... Like, if we're successful, it, either people will use what we build or it will be the foundation or first step into what people... Like not first step, a step in the process of what people use to communicate online. That's our, that's our goal is to be like the, our goal is to be the foundational underpinnings of human communication on, on, on the internet. And, and but like, but done with like security. Are you trying to make mind. the telephone? No, I mean, it's, it's just like, like, I don't know. Like when you think about it, it's like it's very difficult to parse what it means to have an identity online or multiple identities online, how to manage those things, how to talk, how to like think about selective disclosure of who you are when you enter into various chat rooms or various people, like how much information you're putting out there and being cognizant of like how all those things link together and then how to do value transfer. Like, like there's so much stuff that you don't think about in terms of like who you are on the internet and how you project yourself in the different contexts of chats that you have. Mm -hmm. And most of the, like we have a bunch that like, we have 40 chat apps because no one's nailed it. And they're all different. They're all like, you're all a different person in these things. Well, I would say no one's in I would, I would argue and that's not, no one's nailed it. Some of them are really good. Facebook messenger is good. WhatsApp is great. Uh, Slack is good for communication. Like they're I think limited. it's because people 
are now adopting to something that's new and that's I could be different people at the same time. Yeah, but like you're still the same person and the management of those things should be universal. Like like who like your your persona or your multiple personas should be managed by you under one platform and then used oh, in a myriad of others. Okay. I see what you're saying now. Like okay. it's, it's, it's a, it's a twist. I mean, it's, I think most of what exists is a, is a, is only a slice of what should be. And so you got to try to find a way to meld it all together. Okay. Well, with that being said, we have our interview here with Camilla Rosso. Here it is. Hello, everyone. You're about to hear another one of the Bitcoin podcast interviews, most likely the best interviews in the entirety of the crypto space. And I'm not just saying that we have proof from us. We think that. So today we have a an interviewee, a freelance journalist in the tech industry, uh, author of a newsletter, creator of the Defiant. It's a newsletter, but you know, I don't, I don't like to core. We don't introduce people. We let them introduce themselves. So Camilla Russo, welcome to the show. And, um, if you could please give us a brief introduction of who you are and, and how you cross paths with this, uh, crazy crypto, crypto space. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. Um, yeah. So I, I'm a, a financial journalist. I am the founder of the Defiant Newsletter. It's a newsletter focusing on decentralized finance. Um, I'm also the author of a book on the history of Ethereum that's coming out in July. It's called The Infinite Machine, um, and you can pre-order on Amazon. <laughs> um, so excited about that. It's the, the first um, book on how Ethereum was uh, founded and how um, it got started from the very early beginnings. And before, you know, going deep into crypto and, you know, full-time um, independent journalists in, in the space, I was at Bloomberg um, there for around eight years, covering mostly markets. I covered um, uh, bonds and effects in, in Argentina. I covered European stocks in, in, in Madrid. Um, and then I was in New York covering mostly emerging markets and, and then crypto. So yeah, that's that's me. <laughs> Man, uh, why did you leave to join crypto? So yeah, I I was at Bloomberg for a long time, as, as I said, eight years. Um, I always had in the back of my mind that I I wanted to do something on my own at some point. Um, it's something that's you know kind of common in in my family. There are you know, many entrepreneurs. So I, I kind of have that, um, that background and, um, and also, you know, writing the same type of market stories year after year. Um, it, it's, it's fun. I mean, it, it, especially when you're writing about like really crazy and volatile markets like Argentina and crypto. Um, but yeah, I, I always, you know, still had kind of the, the urge of, of starting something on my own. So when I got this book deal with HarperCollins to write about Ethereum, I felt it was the right moment to leave. Um, you know, it, it, I really did 
um, needed more time than what I had at Bloomberg to, to really kind of write the best book that I could. So I left to finish, um, the, this book, but also kind of with the idea of, of doing something else, um, after, uh, whether it was, you know, freelance writing, which is something I always wanted to try out or start my own, um, like news outlet. And in the end, that's, that's what I ended up doing. Okay. And all of crypto, why Ethereum? Is it, was it because of crypto kitties? <laughs> Partly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so <laughs> it's a good question. So I guess like the, the first, obviously like most people, Bitcoin was my, you know, why I, I got interested in, in crypto in the first place. I, I wrote about Bitcoin in 2013 when I was in Argentina. Um, I, you know, was writing about inflation and currency controls in, in the country and seeing the ways that Argentines were, were dealing with these problems and trying to protect their savings. And so that's how I got into, into Bitcoin. I wrote, um, a story on how Argentines were using Bitcoin to uh, protect against 25% inflation. And since then, I was always very interested and intrigued, um, about the cryptocurrency world. Like I, I felt how, how bad inflation is and, and how, you know, how violent currency controls feel. Uh, because I, I suffered them myself. So, you know, when I found out there's this parallel money, like financial system, this peer to peer, um, cash that's actually live and, and being used globally, I thought that was incredibly exciting. So I always, you know, kept looking at the space, even though it wasn't my main focus at Bloomberg and, um, and then when, when I was in New York in 2017, I was at this, um, blog at, within the Bloomberg terminal, uh, which gave me freedom to write, um, about whatever seemed interesting to me in markets. So obviously 2017 crypto was huge. Mm. And, and, you know, I had been looking at the space, um, since 2013 and, and I was like, you know, maybe it, it's time to focus on crypto, um, you know, more, more frequently now. And I started writing about it and uncovered the whole boom in 2017. And by the end of 2017, I, I thought, you know, this is something amazing that I experienced. Like it, it must be one of the biggest, craziest financial bubbles, um, the world has ever seen. Um, and I thought maybe there's a space to, to write a book about what I kind of covered throughout the year. And so I started thinking, you know, what the best story was to tell. And um, obviously the story of Bitcoin has been told before and, and really well. Um, <clears throat> you know, Digital Gold is, is, a, is a great book. And that, that was kind of the, the sort of story I wanted to tell, like a people's story for everyone to read, to understand, like a non-technical sort of book that reads like a novel. So yeah, so Bitcoin already had like its like great uh, book and story and Ethereum, which was, you know, is the second biggest cryptocurrency and also what drove a lot of the hype of 2017 and sparked ICOs and 
um, was, you know, already had such a huge impact in, in blockchain technology and, and even tech in general. And, and it didn't have a book like telling its story. So I thought, okay, so maybe that's an opportunity there. Maybe I should be the one to tell it. <laughs> and yeah, that's, that's why I decided to write about Ethereum. And it also really did, did feel to me then and, and still does now that Ethereum is interesting, you know, even if it, if it fails in its goal of like becoming the, the world computer or whatever, it, it, it really is trying to push kind of blockchain technology forward. Um, and so that's, that's worth documenting and, and telling. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about our sponsor of the show this week, Status. And today I want to call out uh, the many listeners who are building dApps on Ethereum to tell you how to get your dApp in the hands of all the Status app users. Status app itself is a mobile web three, lets you chat, browse, and transact. There's a lot of cool things about the Status app. Right now, let's talk about the Dapp Explorer. Status app uses DAP.PS, that's referred to as dApps, as an on-ramp to use Ethereum dApps on mobile. Maybe you've heard about DeFi, want to check out KyberSwap or DeFi Zap. We'll get some S and T and F, load it up in your status wallet, and use DAP.PS, DAP.PS, to get DeFi on mobile. Take your decentralized, permissionless finance with you. Already, we're seeing tons of excitement around mobile dApps and Web3. If you've got a dApp, head to DAP.PS, check it out, follow the instructions for staking, and get your dApp ranked and featured, or email stake at DAP.PS for more information. What's really neat about the Status App Dapp Explorer is that it automatically creates a social channel for your dApp. So you've got a place where Status App users can find and use your dApp but also you've got the built-in private and secure chat functionality to build a community, do Q&A, FAQ, support, or even meme building. What's that you say? You're not a dApp developer? Why not? Status has a suite of developer tools to get you started building, testing, and deploying Web3 dApps with Embark.io. You know, you see projects that raised a bunch of money in their ICO in 2017, and then nothing. Some crappy wallet, maybe some marketing partnerships, but Status is shipping consumer products dev tools, and fixing Ethereum, and basic peer-to-peer networking and communication protocols. The team is legit. I'm on it. Decentralized and open source. Check out everything they're up to at thestatusnetwork.com or start with the status app at statusim slash git. That's status.im slash g-e-t. Back to the show. So you're planning to write about kind of the birth of Ethereum and it seems as though reading the description on Amazon that you're telling it from like somewhat of a personal uh, perspective narrative of like seeing the characters that were involved in this type of thing. Now I've done quite a bit of digging um, not as much as I'd like or, or plan to, but like some of the information associated with the start of Ethereum and the player's um, involved and their relative distributions of ether is very hard to get at. Um, did you encounter any issues in the process of trying to tell this story? Or did you, are you uncovering anything in the process of writing this book? Like what, like what are people going to read when they, when they read this book? So I, I went to the, the, I tried to get the very first hand, um, sources for, for the book to tell the story as accurately as possible. To do that, I, I interviewed, I, I tried to interview everyone involved in, in, you know, the main events as they happen. So I, you know, I spoke with Vitalik and all the early co-founders and, and then, you know, with 
everyone else because the Ethereum team really um, has evolved and morphed throughout it, its history. So um, I tried to to speak with um, everyone who had an impact in in the project, and that's how I, I reconstructed um, the what happened. Uh, kind of piecing all these interviews together. I, I was actually surprised that there weren't as many discrepancies in the stories as, as I thought th there would be. Um, in, in general, uh, the my character story pretty much line up. Um, so I, you know, I'm I'm, I'm really happy with with the result and and think, uh, you know, it is really the the, the first. Um, account of, of how things happened as it was sold from everyone or, or, or most kind of the, the important people who were there at, at the time. Um, and beyond kind of the, the interviews, which, which I did over a hundred, um, I, I really tried to get like, I don't know, like, um, just read all of the Ethereum blog posts, uh, went back to the YouTube, uh, videos, the Bitcoin talk, forum, um, archived websites for like ethereum.org and um, some of the people I interviewed forward me emails from the time, chat logs, like I, I really tried to dig up as as much, you know, first-hand information as I could. Man, a hundred interviews. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean. I, did we miss our invite, Corey? I think we missed our invite for the interview. You know, we weren't really, we weren't, I don't think we didn't get involved. Like we talked about it. I mean, I'm, I'm deeply rooted in Ethereum these days. I mean, I work, I'm CSO status. I, I'm involved in a lot of the processes. I'm all, sent a lot of panels for discussions and things, but like we, like the podcast itself wasn't really, uh, deeply into it until I guess after it had kind of proven itself and launched, we, we covered it topically. So Beyond the so themes forth. we were though. Yeah. I was more. Oh yeah. The, oh yeah. <laughs> well, no. Remember, I was like, "Yo, this Ethereum thing is ten cents right now. I think it's going to be a lot more. We should start talking about it." And that's pretty much all we ever. That was did. that was the discussion. That was pretty <laughs> much the discussion. <laughs> did you buy? Did yeah. you buy some at the time? I don't. Um, I don't know. I don't. I forget I don't what I bought. My, <laughs> my sad story. I actually acquired a lot from good old. Um, What's the dude? He kind of lost his shit, but he worked with Tony uh, Swish. Office. Tony Swish. I acquired a lot from Tony Swish at those rates and then oh. thought it was too good to be true. So I sold it off into something else. I'm not too happy about that decision. I'm actually very <laughs> sad about it every year that passes. <laughs> wow. But, um, that's, so that's why I even mentioned it to you at all, Corey, because I had owned some at that time. Oh, so wow. I was trying to sneakily get your smart man's opinion. On a decision I had already made, so, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to reading this this book because most of the stuff you get, um, as a for, as an as a perspective on Ethereum is mostly technical, uh, how it works, mm -hmm. how to do things, but you don't get a lot of good quality kind of where it comes from, the the minds behind the creators, the, the events that unfolded, and kind of that that narrative. I, I'm looking forward to reading that. No, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear. And that's exactly what my, my goal is with the book because there, I think there's enough kind of technical information out there. Um, but that doesn't really kind of get to 
you know, for for the the everyday reader or or potential user of of, of Ethereum, that's not really what captivates you um, to to learn about something um, as weird as as Ethereum. You know, it's like it's the people yeah. behind it, like what what they they were dreaming of when when they thought of of doing this thing, like their stories. Um, so yeah, that that's what I'm I'm, I'm trying to to uncover, uh, like all the different. Um, stories behind behind Ethereum. I mean, there's like so many colorful characters uh, behind it, from like Vitalik to Mihai, Anthony Diorio. You know, it's like so many different Very characters different. coming from yeah, like mm-hmm. um, you know, different parts of the world and experiences. It's it's weird. Yeah. When you when you're comparing like the history of Bitcoin and the history of Ether. I mean, a lot of when I'm talking to people who are unfamiliar with both, um, there's always this like uh, pause or you could see they don't like the gap between um, us not knowing who Satoshi Nakamoto is mm-hmm. and there being this mystery around it. And then you look at Ethereum and there's no mystery around it. Like if you want to go talk to one of the dudes that made it, you can there at least you could talk to him. Like mm-hmm. they're active, they haven't disappeared. And so I guess the question that I'd ask is kind of like off, um, it's kind of tough to answer, but like what it all boils down to with these technologies is, is kind of like, it's, it's a little bit of faith and belief mm-hmm. when it boils yeah. down to it. And yeah. what, when people hear the Bitcoin story, they're like, I don't know about that Satoshi shit. <laughs> so do you think people can believe? in Ethereum's, what it's trying to do, regardless if it can or cannot. Yeah, um, I think it's it's a double-edged sword to have a known and active founder with, mm-hmm. with Vitalik. I think um, for Bitcoin, I think it's actually um, a good thing that Satoshi Nakamoto is, you know, nobody knows who, who he is. And, um, and, and there's this kind of like, mythical aspect to to it uh it, it's almost as if you know it, it's like this magical um thing that was brought into the world to save us from like corrupt financial institutions and <laughs> and like um bad governance and bad bad like central banks um but you know I, I, and and i think that's like that's that's that can really drop people in, you know, and, and it's why uh, a lot of people see Bitcoin as a, a little bit of a, of a belief system. You know, it's like, you know, if, if you, if you buy in, in, into, into this, um, in, into this system, then, you know, it, it's, um, yeah, you, you can like back your whole worldview, uh, with it. And it doesn't, and, and not having an unknown founder, um, makes it easier, you know, I, I think. Because like if not, then you have you have Ethereum. Um and Vitalik I think has been actually uh a good reluctant leader. <laughs> um but he has uh he has, he's been a, a a pretty good leader even though he, he doesn't actually want want like to, to lead. But you know you still it, it doesn't have that like mythical aspect to it. Like you, you know who he is. He's at conferences, and um, you can like him or, or or dislike him. And 
it's it's kind of tough to have a project that's tied to to an actual um, person and and a project that's like that's supposed to be more than a project, right? That's supposed to be this like underlying platform for everything. Um, so I, I think it actually makes things a little bit uh, tougher for for Ethereum to to gain this kind of like religious like uh, community of, of followers. Yeah, I can see that. Like I said, the, the zealots <laughs> have to be tied to the original narrative of Bitcoin because it can't really yeah. evolve because there's no one there to evolve it because it's decentralized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah. What well, I think you said no. I think the answer to my question was no <laughs> because it's just hard to believe in a person. It's easier to believe in ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Opinion. For sure. Because like, uh, I mean, it's it's just hard. It's hard to believe in a person because people have flaws but ideas are just objective so i don't know yeah and, and in the same way like like how you were saying you just like there's this like dogmatic belief in okay bitcoin is like like mm-hmm. it's supposed to be and it's it, we can't change it and and you know the, the satoshi's vision or whatever um but then with, with ethereum it's the opposite it's like it's constantly changing and vitalik's um, opinion matters less and less, and there's this like, you know, it's like a technocracy of of developers making decisions and mm-hmm. and upgrading um, the the protocol frequently. So yeah, it's 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 totally totally different, and I think yeah. um, the community, you know, there's there's a a, a really loyal um, community that likes that and and likes to be involved and likes. The flexibility of it and, and how it, it is changing and improving. But obviously there, there will be people who disagree with all these changes and, and would rather it have, have it be immutable and, and not have, um, like so, so many humans involved, uh, including Vitalik himself. Yeah. I'm curious to see kind of how that, that governance process moves on over time. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, but like you've, you've spent quite a bit of time learning about this. You wrote a book about it and then you've also created like the defiant newsletter, which is, um, like a, a publishing of all of the news within the entire ecosystem. But since DeFi is mostly on Ethereum, it's about up, a lot of updates there. Mm-hmm. Why did you choose DeFi? to make a new newsletter. And I, and I, and I know it's incredibly difficult because the space moves so fast to keep up with that type of stuff. So, um, why DeFi? Because, well, as I was researching, uh, the book on Ethereum, I obviously saw this kind of ecosystem that was being built. And I just thought it was incredible what, you know, these people were making. Um, I, I really do believe it's uh, a parallel financial system in its like very early uh, beginnings. And to me, you know, it's DeFi is that is delivering um, what cypherpunks uh, dreamed about, you know, this beyond just like peer to peer cash. It, it is, you know, it, it's giving us an inkling of what actual more complex financial services on like built on blockchain technology and in a more open and decentralized way uh, look like, and it's actually working. It has users. It's uh, 
it, it has volume and assets. And so I saw all of this going on. And to me, it's by far the most interesting thing happening in crypto right now and in finance, really. And it was just incredible that nobody was really paying attention. Um, I didn't think even uh, crypto media was really covering it very well. And there weren't, at the time, when, you know, when I started the Define, there weren't any other newsletters covering it. And I mean, I, and I still believe it is the most important thing happening. Like it's where crypto has found actual users and applications that work. So um, I thought, you know, this is an opportunity for me. I know um, a lot about Ethereum. I'm a financial reporter. I know how to write about finance. And uh, so maybe, you know, I can really make a contribution to the space and cover it in uh, like a professional way, like elevate the, the quality of of um, journalism in in DeFi, which there, there wasn't really any. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, just like set the bar high then. Um, and so, yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's that's uh yeah that's my goal with it really just like become a quality um media outlet for decentralized finance and hopefully be the most uh trusted content platform um for people who want to learn and and keep up with this incredibly fast moving space do you do you defy <laughs> i do i do defy um Shout so, them out! Shout them out! Who's who's uh, getting <laughs> your attention? Let let the people know. <laughs> so I'm really excited about this uh, project. I started uh, at the start of the year. It's called the DeFi Ten, and it's um, a fund of ten different DeFi projects. Um, so the idea is that I I invested a hundred Dai in these ten projects, and I'm tracking the progress. Um, and, you know, hopefully by the end of the year, uh, I'll get some good lessons on how these things work, like which is performing better. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's, I mean, first of all, I think it's, it's great that there are at least like at least 10 projects that you can actually invest in and that work and that, you know, have, a, uh, can give you a decent return without you doing anything because that was like my main requirement was that I just want to put in my, my die and not think about it. Um, so, so this is what these 10 platforms are, are doing. And some of them, I think are four are just, uh, tokens that earn interest automatically. So, I mean, that in itself is, is pretty mind blowing. You know, it's just like tokens that you hold in your wallet. And the balance gets automatically updated with interest that, that they're gaining. Um, and you know, it, it's variable interest. So right now, um, it, the rate is pretty low. I, I think it was like 4% or between 2 and 4% last time I checked, but like at the beginning of the year it was at 8%. Um, so you're getting between 8 and 2% on, on die, which is doll, like back to the dollar. So I think, you know, considering the space obviously is, is very risky and you should never, I wouldn't ever recommend putting a, a lot of money in DeFi um, because it's, you know, very risky early stage uh, projects and, and technology. 
but still, I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing that you can, with like two clicks, start earning 8% or even 2% interest on a dollar based asset. Um, and that's been working pretty well. Um, and then there's, uh, there's like, um, there's this fund that tracks the 20 day moving average of ETH and automatically rebalances uh, buying or selling ETH against USDC when like the level moves below or, or above the, the 20 day moving average. And, you know, again, that's like without doing anything, just like I, I put in a hundred die in, in this platform in token sets and it just like executes this trading strategy for me. And it's performed really well. Like, uh, I, I don't want to say how, like, I, I, I don't want to screw up. I, I can't remember exactly how much, but it's like outperforming everything. Like it's up this year when mm. everything's like, you know, obviously crashing and burning. <laughs> um, so yeah, and there's like a couple more like automated investment strategies. Like there's two that, um, are, you know, similar to like the interest bearing token, but it, they're, um, they're, they're like automated yield uh, robots, I think they're, they they call themselves. But the idea is that you put in a hundred die, and then these platforms automatically invest it in whatever platform gives you the best in, like yeah, the best interest. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it it you don't have to think about it, and you know that you're getting the best interest. Um, and this is just you know yeah, connecting your MetaMask. You don't need to give your email your information to anybody. You're in control of your funds and you're, you know, able to invest in these different platforms, um, literally with like a couple of clicks. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I, I, I really love, I love this experiment because it, it shows that, you know, I, I don't have like a huge technical background. I'm not like a professional like investor or anything. And I'm still able to, you know, put money in, in, these different in these different platforms with like I don't know it, just like a couple of minutes. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's fun. Like, is yeah. it not? It's like a couple couple pushes of a button, and then you're looking like, oh, I'm gaining interest. Yeah, it's it's, it's cool. easy. It's fun. It's like, yeah, to me, it it really feels like like this is the future. Like this is what finance in for like our generation is supposed to look like. Um, so I have a question for you. Yeah. Given what's where you've come from, like Bloomberg and mm-hmm. more traditional finance, even though the markets that you covered, you said were very volatile, what's going to be, you know, the incumbent financial systems uh, reaction to something like this, which looks like it's poised to inevitably grow? How do they react? And they're like, oh, man, like now people aren't betting on us. They're betting on crypto. Do you think it's going to be a smooth transition or are they going to do a little, um, if you can't beat them, join them, or mm-hmm. are they going to do a lot more of the, we're just going to like say that's bad because it's <laughs> all we really can respond with at this point in time. Yeah, it, it's a good question. I, I thought about this and I'm, I'm not sure. I think, you know, there's a, a couple of different ways, um, in, like the incumbent financial system can, can respond. I think for now and, and for a while, they're, they're not gonna pay attention. I mean, they're going 
going to ignore DeFi because it's it's still really tiny. I mean, it was um like uh the top like the the record amount of value locked in DeFi platforms was one billion at the beginning of the year, and now it's dropped. So I mean, that's like nothing for for big banks. Um, so I think they will continue to ignore DeFi for a while, but then when it gets big enough and and I think the measure of that is when they start seeing their own clients, you know, like lose clients or, or lose deposits uh, for, you know, for DeFi, people uh, going to, to DeFi. I think that's when they, they'll start to pay attention. And um, and I think there's two ways. One is try to regulate DeFi out of their markets. And I think, you know, that, that's happened before um, with ICOs. So I think that's still a pretty real risk for for DeFi right now, um, and it's it's probably why a lot of these projects are trying to become more and more decentralized. So so that when the time comes, regulators can't really uh, shut down these projects or or put anyone in jail. Um, we'll see how effective they are with that. Um, so I think, yeah, like trying to crack down with regulation is, is one. And the other one is uh, just joining them. Um, and I think that's probably more likely or, and that's because I'm an optimist. I, I, I mean, hopefully, you know, like financial incumbents will, will see, okay, this is actually a better way of doing things, um, transacting in a peer-to-peer way, cutting out middlemen, reducing costs, uh, cutting down the time between transactions is better. So hopefully they'll see that and they'll want to join um, the DeFi ecosystem and offer uh, products that, you know, using this technology. And if they do, I think that'll obviously be a good thing. I think competition is always good. It in, like improves um, services and applications and makes you know, things better. So, I mean, we'll see. I, I don't know. I don't know that. Uh, oh, that's my dog. Sorry. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know that um, in, in general, you know, in with like techno- technological progress, I don't think that incumbents have a like great track record at beating uh, the, the new startups. So, we'll see how banks do. Trying to beat DeFi once it becomes bigger. I would agree with basically all that. It's, it's really like a time will tell. It's too small mm-hmm. to know what people are going to do, and and yeah. by the time it gets big enough, they're not going to have as many options as they have now, uh, based mm-hmm. on people decentralizing. And it's it's a really good vehicle for them to kind of do what they currently do, but better. Uh, what I what I'm interested in is like this is something that me and D uh, understand very well is uh, how do you keep track of it? So you, you write a newsletter, you want to cover as much stuff as you can, but the space grows mm-hmm. so fast. It becomes impossible for you to understand and be able to uh, ethically and efficiently report or thoroughly report on all of it. How do you choose? Mm-hmm. Where do you go to get information? Like what, what do you do in a situation like that? Because it's going to happen if it hasn't already. Yeah. Um 
no, it's definitely tough with all the information there is and and how complicated it is and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm, there's different like sources I use. So uh, a big one is Twitter. <laughs> That's like where all of these projects and, you know, builders and analysts are. So I, I track that closely, uh, watch for announcements, watch for, you know, I- interesting takes. Um, Reddit too. Um, I, you know, also get emailed, uh, or message different announcements as well. So I usually don't miss kind of the, the big news of the mm-hmm. day. Um, and then the other, the other way is kind of, I get from my Bloomberg days, which is just looking at the market and looking at the data. So I use different platforms for that. Um, DeFi polls, uh, loan scan, um, consensus code by platform, um, and a few others, uh, Dune analytics, uh, what else? Alithio. Um, there's, there's a few, uh, platforms that, you know, have, uh, DeFi data and like different pieces of it. So, um, I try to track those and, and see if there are any interesting trends in the market so so that's that's kind of my way of like getting um like first-hand information on what's happening and like where things are 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 moving um yeah i guess and also like research reports are like helpful to understand like bigger trends so yeah it's like i'm constantly consuming information and news and tweets and posts (laughs) to to yeah, uh, see you. What's like most important? Way yeah. harder than we do. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have like okay. a thousand tabs open <laughs> all day. Um, well, yeah, I'm familiar with that. I got, I got like four. I got Windows and tabs. Just so many tabs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I guess we'll ask you our uh, our trademark question. Our our co- is, this is a trademark question, right, Corey? Isn't it? Sure. I don't know. We've got one of those official documentations about it. No, we don't. That's just our name. Anyways, in ten words or less, can you define Ethereum? Um. Yeah. So let's see. Uh, let me think about it. Okay. So Ethereum is a global network. That lets anyone anywhere in the world to build on it anything that they dream of, um, using, uh, a computer that can never shut down. That was close to 10. And by close, I mean not very close. Oh no. Um, Sorry about that, but it, it was one sentence. It was. It was. I, I think you're the first person actually to counter when we say it's not ten words. You're like, yeah, but it was this, so you know. <laughs> so, At least, you know, I have an argument for why <laughs> I did it. It is hard for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you, Camilla, for swinging by the show, the Bitcoin podcast, uh, to talk about Ethereum. Yeah, thank um, you for having me. I, I'm glad we didn't get into any maximalism. That's not how we roll. 
That wouldn't yeah, work very well on the show, it, especially considering like I push Ethereum the most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Where I, I fear that the more time goes on, the less people have any clue the origins of our name. So they just think that we're walking around Sellouts. Bitcoin <laughs> maximalists. Or, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. We, I, it makes so you feel any better. I think we have the Ethereum podcast a domain, yeah, we own that. and we have the blockchain oh. podcast domain. You just don't use them. That's all redirected to us. We were forward-thinking in that uh, aspect. We've been around since, like, well before Ethereum, and I mean, that, if that's you can have both domain names, yeah, that, that's <laughs> that's pretty telling. Yeah. Um, all I'd ask Camilla is that on your next book, we be one of the 100 interviews yes, because definitely. we're like gold mines of history, but we don't. I don't know, Corey. We don't like uh, go out of our way <laughs> of telling people. No, we but do not. Anyway, thank yeah, you for bringing sure. by. Uh, plug your book. Let the people know how to put them that crypto in your pockets. Yes. Uh, yeah, go pre-order my book, The Infinite Machine, on Amazon. And also, please subscribe to my newsletter, The Defiant. It's thedefiant.substack.com. We'll put those in the show notes so people can access them easily. And uh, thanks for coming the show. I look forward to kind of, one, reading your book. Uh Watching, uh, the, the, the DeFi pulse through, through your eyes and, uh, you coming back on the show and telling us more. Yeah, no, we'd be happy to. It was really fun. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs>